0: My name is Terry I'm one of the pastors here if you're visiting with us today's a very different day uh, today we have the privilege of celebrating Holy Communion in just a little bit um, we're also our schedules a little bit different for those of you you', you all got it like, I was looking in your faces when the music went on and I came out they're like wait a minute are we singing more we actually are going to sing more we're going to sing more a little bit later in the service it's always good to mix things up a little bit to make sure that our hearts are in the right place and not on autopilot so we're really excited that you're here we uh, we have a special message today uh, when we think about Communion, and 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 when I when we have these days, um, and by the way, next week we start a brand new message series entitled "Lost and Found," and uh, we're going to dive into a passage of scripture that really talks about um, how much Jesus cares about each and every one of us. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, But as we talk about today, um, I like to kind of dive into what's going on culturally around us. And obviously, it's a political season. We just had Saturday was a primary event, obviously in our community. And uh, I I I don't want to shy away from culture because I think um, what you all of us face week in and week out in our culture. Um, it affects our lives, and we need to learn, and we need to be able to grow and know how to respond and know how to act. And, and uh, you, those of you that have been here for a while know that I don't get political, but I'm going to get political in, in a different way here today. Um, I was looking at social media, and, and I think that um, election years sometimes bring out the worst in Christianity. And uh, for those of you who know what I'm saying is I think sometimes we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ on Facebook and on Twitter and and uh, we kind of look at some of the comments or the replies and the responses and the back and forth. And I got to be honest, as a pastor, my heart grieves because I, I, I see sometimes a lot of us get wrapped up and get emotional. And uh, don't you wish sometimes that you could take back something that you typed or something that you spoke? Um, because it, it gets charged up, doesn't it? And uh, so today we're actually going to take a look at a passage of scripture. And, and the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in modern day Turkey, Ephesus, and in Ephesus, he's writing and he's talking to all of us on, on, in a very, very difficult year, how are we to live our lives? And, and I think it's really appropriate for all of us who have family members and friends. We're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to have all kinds of, actually, Thanksgiving will happen after, after the election. But we're going to have Fourth of July and different holidays. Where we're going to gather together. And so how do we respond uh, to our friends and our family members who sit with two different ideological backgrounds and, and perspectives? And how do we communicate and how do we act as Christians. And so let me read this passage of Scripture from beginning to end, and then we're going to dive in and we're going to look specifically at it a few of those verses to really learn how can I face this year. This comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, Paul says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord. Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul begins and he, and, he, and he talks and he gives us a lot of wisdom with regards to how we're supposed to act as believers in Christ. And Let me, let me kind of say this. Obviously, in this political season, I was reading um, this morning on Facebook and I saw a dear friend of mine, uh, uh, someone that I love, and they, they put a post and they said, all right, come on all Democrats, let's, let's rally together and let's make a revolution and let's take this back. And then I, I read a little later and there's one of my friends who's a Republican. All right, Republicans, unite together. Don't let this and this and this and this and this, and don't let them do this and this and this. Let's go engage. And, and I was kind of looking, and, I, and I, I really stopped, and I paused, and I said, all right, Jesus, you, were, you came during political times. If you don't know this about Jesus Christ, Romans were actually in charge. And there was a lot of politics that were going down even in his age. He got hit with politics left and right about, you know, hey, should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to this guy Caesar? I mean, they're occupiers, and how should we treat one another from a political standpoint? It was all about politics, back during that time. And I asked myself, all right, Jesus, how did you act? How did you act during years like this? And so I thought to myself, what political party, Jesus, would you have jumped on? And, and, and what side would you have gone on? And, and I'm going to make and some of you are getting nervous right now, and you're like, okay, I hope I'm on the right side. No, 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 again. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. I thought about how Jesus then acted toward people. You know, Jesus Christ was Jewish. And I thought to myself, all right, so let's say there was a Jewish party. Jesus, did you come to, to join the Jewish party? Well, if you know the Scripture and you kind of read through Scripture, it's like, well, no, I, I don't think he came to, to join the Jewish party. And then I thought of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I thought, well, he definitely didn't come to join their party. It definitely spoke against that. And I thought about the Romans. I say, okay, did he come for Romans? Did he come to join their party? In San Francisco? No, that Jesus, it didn't fit that Party. Did he come for the Gentiles and, and did he, no, there's evidence in scripture where he literally says to a Gentile, I've come for the Jewish people first. And, and so it's like, you know, the truth is, I don't think that Jesus Christ fit into any cultural clique, but maybe that was his point. And I think sometimes when we get involved in taking sides in a, in a year, sometimes you can't help, how many of you are competitive by nature? I'm told I'm competitive a lot of times. And here's the truth. You ever heard this statement? You play to win the game. You, know, you ever heard that? And so when we take sides or when or we join parties, we want to win. But there's a danger with competition at times. It comes with a cost because sometimes when you win, automatically you feel that you are better than your competitor, that you are better than the person that you just beat. And I don't think that's why Jesus came. I don't think Jesus came to tell Christians you're better than everybody else. Truth is, I don't think that was his message at all. If you're taking notes, Jesus didn't come to show you better. He came to show you different. Because Jesus Christ never came to tell us that we were better than anybody else. You see, I don't think Jesus Christ called Christians to be holier than thou and to live those kind of lives. And it's dangerous, isn't it, when we live in our neighborhoods and we have neighbors and friends. For those of you that say, you know, Terry, I try to live a, a righteous life. I try to live with integrity. I try to be honest. When you have neighbors or friends that are, are consistently dishonest or consistently act without integrity, here's the danger, Christian. The danger is, is because we act with integrity and they don't, we can then begin to feel that we are better than they are. But that's not why Jesus Christ came. He didn't came to be better. You see, Jesus never called Christians to feel or say they are better than others. And here's the truth. I really believe that Jesus called us to be different and to embrace our uniqueness. And so it's not about being better. It's not about being a better party or a different, having a better plan. I think Jesus came into this world to show that he was different to so many groups of people that he involved with. And the Apostle Paul is writing to us today to show us how we can, in an election year, live our lives in such a way that we are different. I'm going to make this last political statement and then I'm done for a while, okay? There are some people in this room that identify as Republican. There are some people in this room that identify as Democrat. And what I would tell you, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that it's very, very important that you first identify with being a follower of Jesus. And no political party should supersede how you are to respond as a follower of Jesus. And I pray that all of you, including myself, remember that when you're online. Remember that when you're tweeting. Remember that when you're on Facebook. Is that are you a follower of Jesus first? And that's what Paul is getting to. So we're going to dive into this passage and we're going to break it apart. And there are three different things that I want us all to be mindful of as we face this year. Here's the first one. Ephesians 5, 15. So be careful how you live, Paul says. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And the first thing I want to encourage all of us is is to be wise. Now, some of us, we look at that, yep, Terry, that's good stuff. But do you know the definition of wise and where it came from? Actually, you have to go all the way back to ancient literature to actually find the exact definition of what wisdom means. And, And I love this. Being wise means this. Not mired down in this world. And so being wise means that culture can say things. But just because culture says things, if you're wise, it doesn't mean that you get mired down with whatever culture says. It's that you choose wisdom to say it's not about what necessarily what culture says. It's about separating myself, being different, and to be able to choose the choice that Christ would call me to choose. Now, I kind of broke this down a little bit more, and and I love this, and I'm going to make it as simple as I can. Um, The term, you've heard of the term homo sapien, right? Homo sapien. That is what you and I are. We're homo sapiens. Do you know the definition of a homo sapien and why we're called homo sapiens? Let me show you the definition. Homo sapien means wise human. And we, when we were labeled this, it was because it was to separate ourselves from all other creatures in the world. And so in other words, what separates us from the animals and everything else? Wisdom, the ability to act with wisdom, the ability to have thought. And so Paul says to all of us, don't go along with what everybody else says, but be wise as a follower of Jesus in your life. He continues on in verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to that. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, and maybe you're watching online or up in the balcony, you've seen this scripture before probably in quiet times or you've seen it in Bible studies. And let's be honest, when we've gotten to this point of what Paul's saying, singing psalms and spiritual songs and hymns, we've kind of just checked out a little bit and said, okay, I don't understand what he's really meaning by this, so we're going to move on to the next verse. But here's what Paul is really talking about. He's saying that not only do you have to be wise, but Christian, your hearts need to be worshipful. Now, what does that mean, worshipful? On this stage, when we stand and when we sing, many of us, we confuse the words out of our mouth as worship. Do you know that that's not what you're doing? That when you're singing, that's not worship. That worship comes from one place and one place only, and it's from the attitude and the posture of your heart. So there are many Sundays, I'll be honest, in my life that I have come into a church where I've stood, where I've stood up, where I've sang words, but I'll be honest, I'm not worshiping. Because my heart is in a different place. My heart is distracted. I might be hurting. It might be a difficult season in life. I'm distracted. And so my heart is not worshipful. And Paul says, look, Do you want to know what it truly means to live a life that honors God? It means that in every day of your life, no matter what season you're in, I don't care whether you're facing a health crisis, I don't care whether you're facing financial ruin, that your heart understands that, you know what, there is a Savior who died on a cross, and because he died on a cross, that I will never die, and instead, I'm going to live forever. If that's not something for me to be worshipful about, then I've lost perspective. And so today, it might be, that might be your word today to say, you know what, Lord? I need to have a heart of thanks and a heart of thankfulness. And a little later in the service, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a couple more songs. And I'm going to challenge everyone in this room to actually worship with their hearts and not sing with their mouths. Now, I want you to sing, too, because it'll be kind of awkward if we're all standing there and just lip singing. So make sure you sing, but have a worshipful heart. So be wise. Be worshipful. And I love this third one, Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, part of what Paul is saying there is in the culture of that day in Ephesus, yes, were were people getting drunk left and right? Yes, it it was cultural. It was very, very, you know, what happens here a lot of times happened in Ephesus. But I don't think Paul was only kind of leaning into the example of alcohol. I think what Paul was really getting at is Christian, follower of Christ, Don't be filled with the things that the world gives that give pleasure. Don't be filled with gossip. Don't be filled with lies. Don't be filled with hate. Don't be filled with anger. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with those things. And he says this, so he almost says, hey, separate yourself. It's what Jesus Christ came for. Remember, Jesus Christ didn't come to take a side. He didn't come to be better. Jesus Christ came to be different. And so Paul says, be different, Christian. Don't be filled with all that. Instead, he says, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Now, really quickly, a lesson on the Holy Spirit in 30 seconds. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you say, Lord, I want to follow you for the rest of my day, here's what happens to you, is that you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of your heart. The Holy Spirit is that governor of life that when you make a decision, when you gossip in the hallways and all of a sudden you feel your heart check and say, ooh, I shouldn't be saying this, I shouldn't be doing this. That's the Holy Spirit trying to implore you to live a different life. And so, in other words, the Holy Spirit is going to help you in the midst of this election year. Because I'll be honest, when we get online and we see, let's say we have an ideology with, attached to a party, and we like what someone is saying, and all of a sudden we see that someone says it and they're encouraged, and we feel good about it, like, yeah, yeah, that's right, you say it, ooh, that was good, yeah, oh, yeah, get down, that's right, oh, yeah, I love it. The problem with that is is that the Holy Spirit might be saying, hey, you're taking a little too much joy into this. You're you're taking a victory lap here. You need to calm it down, Christian. You need to be different. In other words, culture is going to show you that this is the way we should act in an election year. And Christian, I'm going to implore you, don't act like culture. Be different. And I'm going to give you a third way that Paul was saying, and it's a little radical. I'm going to ask you this year to be wayward. Now, wayward, if you don't know the definition, I'm going to give it to you and let me explain it. When we are wayward, here's the definition of wayward, to be perversely turned away, to act in in a way opposite to what is desired or intended. It used to be that we used to use the word wayward as a negative connotation to church. In other words, When you had someone that left God or left church or went on their way, we called them what? Wayward. We live in a time, in a day and age now, where culture has gotten to the point, and again, I'm not bashing culture. There's a lot of great things in culture. But culture itself has gotten to the point where in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be different, you have to be wayward of culture. Does that make sense? And Paul calls us to be different and wayward of culture. It's wayward to spend recreation time investing in others. It's wayward to invest your resources in others. It's wayward to show kindness in the face of antagonism. It's wayward to get on Facebook and have someone attack you for your political beliefs and not rip them to shreds. It's wayward to say yes to a life that others would reject. But what if we all as Christians in this room, we didn't try to be better than our brother or sister or our neighbor and our friend, but that we actually tried to love them and be different than what culture calls everybody to? What if we didn't fall into that trap and what if we acted wayward? Would that make a difference in our community and in our culture? I know it would make a difference in the body of Christ, I can promise you that. Now, I'm going to wrap up with a story, and we're going to receive Holy Communion. But um, many of us know the story of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and and their journey to the moon. And if you were here a couple years ago, I shared the truth about how Neil Armstrong was not supposed to be the first man to walk on the face of the moon. If you didn't know this, you can Google it and look it up. But the reason why Neil Armstrong actually was able to do it is because at the end of the day, his seat was closer to the door. That's a true story. You can go ahead and Google it and look up. He wasn't supposed to be the first person, and they, NASA had to make a decision. They said, okay, Neil, you're, you're, your seat's closer to the door. You get to do it. And so that's how Neil Armstrong became the first man on the face of the moon. But there's another man there, and his name was Buzz Aldrin. And Buzz Aldrin, obviously a lot of us know him. Buzz Aldrin was an elder in a Presbyterian church. And right before he was selected and right before that, they, they, they trained and they were about ready to go, he met with his Presbyterian pastor, and he, and he talked to him. And he he gave a request to his Presbyterian pastor. He said, "I, I would love to celebrate communion on the face of the moon. And so he asked his pastor for a communion kit that he could bring with him on the space shuttle. And in fact, this is the communion kit right here. That's the actual kit that Buzz Aldrin brought on that mission. And Buzz went to NASA and he said to NASA, I would like, because remember, this is at a time when going to the moon, that was a big deal. The whole world was going to be tuned in to the first individuals to be able to land and to walk on the moon. And that was a big thing. And so Buzz wanted to be able to to celebrate by having Holy Communion on the moon as the first act that he could participate in. Well, maybe if you don't know history, there was a prior mission And there was an astronaut, I believe, that orbited the earth. And when he orbited the earth, he referenced a scripture from the book of Genesis. And after that, there was uh, some groups that were suing NASA for getting too religious in the the realm of the state, separation of church and state. So NASA was facing a huge lawsuit at the time. So you can imagine Buzz Aldrin coming in and saying, hey, guys, on national TV, I want to celebrate communion on the face of the earth. NASA actually looked at him and said, Buzz, what are you doing? Buzz, you're crazy. Buzz, we can't do this. No, you cannot celebrate communion. Buzz, you're acting wayward, is what they told him. And they implored him, please, just don't push the luck because we're we're getting a lot of pressure right now. So the story goes, the space shuttle took off and went to the, the orbit of the moon and the lunar module landed on the moon. And when the lunar module landed on the moon, Buzz Aldrin got on the radio, to his NASA compart- and counterparts. And he thanked the 300 to 400,000 people that helped to put him on that moon. And he said this, I would love to have a moment of silence to celebrate what we just did. So for a moment, everything went silent. Cameras were not on him. But Buzz Aldrin took out the communion kit He wrote in his diary that when he actually went to pour the wine, there was just enough gravity on the moon for the wine to pour into the glass. For those of you that were concerned, he didn't spill it either, so I know some of you you don't want to spill it. But isn't it amazing that he sat there and he thought about what God had created and the first food and drink on a different world, different planet, different moon, was that of Holy Communion to say to the God who created it, thank you for what you've done for me. It was a wayward act. Buzz then went on to read these two passages of Scripture that he wrote down for himself. And you can see these are the passages of Scripture that he wrote, and I'm going to show you on the screen what they were. The first one comes from John chapter 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. It's as if Jesus says, Buzz, thank you for being different. Thank you for being wayward. And then he read Psalm 8, 3, and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? We have a God who created the moon, the stars, the heavens. And in this room, we get to do what Buzz Aldrin did and act wayward. As we get to take elements and to celebrate the sacrifice that a Savior made for us because he was wayward himself. And so what a privilege we have. I want to ask you to do this, that when we are all together and when you receive the elements, that you hold them until everyone has been served. And then I'll come up on stage and I'll lead us in a time where we will take it. But as you hold those elements, I want you to ask yourself this question, God, am I acting wise? am I being worshipful? And do I have the boldness to be wayward in such a politically charged year? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege to be able to celebrate um, communion today. And and in this room with eyes closed, head bowed, if you're here today, and maybe Jesus Christ, maybe you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, and maybe this church is new to you. and, And I just want to tell you, I'm so excited that you're here and and what we're about to do is to celebrate um, something that is personal to Christians. And it's what we believe in. We believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sin. And what I would say to you in this room is, is that this is a family event. And we invite you to be part of the family. And so if you're here and you say, Terry, you know what? I want a Lord and Savior. Then I just would ask you to pray this in the, in the privacy of your heart. If it's the desire of your heart. And that is Jesus I'm a sinner, and and I'm not perfect, and you came long ago to die for my sins so that I may have life. And so, God, today I ask you forgive me for my sins. I ask you cast them as far as the east is from the west, and, God, I promise that I will learn more about who you are and about what you call me to, and I'm going to try to be wayward every day. And if you prayed that prayer, eyes closed, head bound, if you prayed that prayer, then... As the elements are passed, I invite you to, for the very first time, participate in Holy Communion. For the rest of us in this room that might be a Christian and we've participated before, it's really important that we come with clean hands. And I would just love for you right now to be searching your heart to ask yourself, God, am I worshiping right now? And if you're not, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. and, And whatever is between you and the Lord and whatever is keeping you from a thankful, worshipful heart, I'm going to ask you to confess that to him so that we could come to the table with clean hands and to just pray this. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a forgiving and loving God. And right now, God, um, Lord, I confess my sin to you and you know what it is. And Lord, I ask that you take it. And God, uh, saying, Lord, I'm sorry is not adequate. It's repentance of heart. And repentance means to turn and to go the other way and to act waywardly. So God, right now I ask that you would forgive me and God, I promise to run in the direction you called me to. So God, thank you so much for all that you've done in my life and I love you. And so Father, right now as we be prepared to receive these elements, may you receive the glory and we tell you we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.